Well, it was supposed to be a simple phone call uh, that any pastor would make. So new, new members uh, came to the church that first Sunday. And so the pastor said, I want to I call the family just to thank them for joining us this Sunday. So a simple phone call. So he dialed the number. The phone began to ring. And then someone picks up the phone, but it's a little silent. And he starts hearing breath. <sighs> pastor says, Hello? Pastor says, uh, hello, who is this? It's Jimmy. Uh, Hi, Jimmy. Is there an adult there? (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Who's there? My mom. Okay, can I talk to your mom? No. Okay, uh, why not? She's busy. Okay, what about about someone else? Is uh, is your dad there? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Okay, what's your dad doing? Uh, He's busy. Okay, are there any other adults that I can talk to? I'm the pastor from the church. I just want to say, hey, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had a great time. Um, Are there any other adults? Yeah. Okay, who? The police. What? Okay, so the pastor starts freaking out. The the police are there. Are you okay? Uh, Yeah. Okay, what's what's going on? Uh, Can I speak to one of the police officers? No, they're busy. Okay, okay. Anyone else, anyone I can talk to because now I'm kind of worried. I don't know if I should, if I should head over there. I'm going to grab my keys. And so he's on the phone talking with his wife and, and getting ready to, to leave the house. Who else is there? The fire department. Okay, okay. Now, now the pastor's truly freaking out. He just gets in the car, still on the phone. Okay, stay on the phone with me. Uh, why, why is all the adults in the house busy? They're looking for me. Uh, true story, I was that kid. Uh, it actually happened. Uh, I was hiding underneath the coffee table. Uh, that's what happened. Uh, but this, it's so cute as a kid playing hide and seek. Right? But then when we, when we get older, we start to play hide and seek a little bit, but we, we really try to hide away from relationships that could hurt us. We hide away from our past. We, we hide away from, from the mistakes that we've made. We hide away from maybe even the present moments and we just seclude. But the truth is we don't just hide away from things and people. We hide away from God. And as he is seeking us, we're saying, we're just going to hide from you. We act like we can hide our sin, our shame, our mistakes from him. And he said, I just want to reveal myself to you. Come out of hiding. And you may have not been the little boy like I was in the story saying, he's looking for me. But the truth is, he's looking for you. And he's always been pursuing you. And he's, he's calling out to you and asking that you would just hear him as he reveals himself. And as we're approaching this beautiful time of the year coming up to Easter, it's amazing as you look at scripture from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God has been revealing himself and saying, I want to show you who I truly am. Would you just look at me? Would you be near me? Would you get close with me? And we're saying, God, but I got to stay far away because I'm just not good enough for you or these other thoughts that come through our minds. But as we're approaching this day right now, when we're going to jump into God's word, we're actually at a really pivotal time, an important time in Scripture. In fact, the Gospel authors, uh, all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, uh, there's 89 chapters total. And many of them cover an interesting time of Jesus' life. And you, and you look at the, the Scriptures, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters in all of them. There's only four chapters that cover the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Four chapters, 30 years. And then you continue to look, and you're saying, okay, what, what about the three and a half years of his ministry? And you see that there's 85 chapters set aside for Jesus' 
three and a half years of ministry. And of those 85 chapters, you look at the final week of Jesus' life, and 29 of them are the final week of Jesus' life. That's what we're going to be reading today. And of those 29 that are the final week of Jesus' life, 13 of them are the final 24 hours of Jesus' life. You see, the, the gospel authors said, we want to devote over 50% of every single word that is written in God's word about this moment we're about to read right now. So if you came to church today and you're thinking, oh, hopefully it's, it's, it's something important, the gospel authors thought it was, so my prayer is that we would lean in. Because God wants to reveal what he is doing and what he is all about and who he is to every single one of us. He is not a guy, God who likes to hide away from us. He says, here's all that I am. So let's look in our Bibles in the book of Luke. We're going to start in chapter 18 because I want to set up where we're going. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Uh, but in Luke chapter 18, Jesus pulls the disciples aside and he says, I want to reveal to you Everything that you've kind of been wondering about, that, that I've kind of been revealing, I want to share with you explicitly why I am here. Book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament, right before John, chapter 18, verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. He says up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is, is above sea level and it's going to be a bit of a trek. And Jesus continues, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Uh, the Son of Man is a really unique title. This is one of the titles that Jesus used for himself. No one else called him the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man. It's actually from a prophetic word that we read in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. It speaks of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the one who will receive and bring the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, I am the one you've been looking for. He said, all the prophets said about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Verse 32, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. I mean, Jesus told them exactly what's about to happen. He said, we're approaching the final week of my life, and this is what is going to happen. Verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. <laughs> its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. But I, but I wish they did because they're about to get to this beautiful moment where they're going to see Jesus start to reveal fully who he is. And it's, it's in this moment, imagine if you were there as one of the disciples listening to Jesus talk. It's incomprehensible of this divine design that God would love us enough to send his son Jesus to walk the earth and then to die on a cross and raise on the third day. It doesn't make sense, but Jesus says, that's what I'm about to do. And you're going to be a part of it and you're going to see it. And so they start this journey to Jerusalem. And so I, I wanted to give us a map just to kind of know where we're, where we're going. Uh, you see where, where the white line is at the top? That's Capernaum. And so Capernaum, you go down, you're in Galilee. He probably crossed through Galilee to Samaria. Notice he could have gone straight down to Jerusalem, but you don't want to walk through Samaria, right? It, it's, there's, some, there's some bad stuff that can happen there. Uh, Jewish people and Samaritans, and it, it was just this bad this bad environment. So Jesus said, let's go around. So he crosses the Jordan River, which is amazing. The Jordan River, think of Joshua crossing the Jordan River. Uh, now he's in that gray area and he's crossing. And by this time, he's, he's healed a blind man who is crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There was a rich young ruler who had a bunch of money and Jesus said, why don't you give some of the money to the poor, those who are in need? And the rich young ruler said, I can't. You see, whenever you see scripture talking about money, there's no issue with being wealthy. 
You can have money. The problem is when money has you. And for Jesus, he was saying, money has you, rich young ruler. Let go of it. He said, I don't want to. And so in that conversation, the disciples begin to ask, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus will begin to reveal to them those who are sold out for the kingdom. And so he's in this gray area, and he comes back over the Jordan River, and then he approaches Jericho. And this is where we're going to be at today in Luke chapter 19. If you would join with me, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho. Now, when you think Jericho, I hope you're thinking Joshua and the walls come tumbling down and the horns and the, and the flutes and all, everything is amazing. Uh, but you also should be thinking of maybe uh, Palm Springs. Like, be thinking of palms. Be thinking of La Jolla. You know, I want you to think something beautiful. Because if we were, if we were reading this for the first time with Eastern eyes, we would see Jesus entered Jericho. Oh, there's no better place. There's no better place for Jesus to be. He's going to Jericho. Everything is there. I mean, I mean, there was even a fragrance in the area of Jericho because there were these balsam trees and these trees had this amazing fragrance. So you walked into Jericho and it even smelled good. So as an early reader, you'd be like, he went to Jericho? Oh, this is gonna be awesome. And was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. The story gets better. Zacchaeus, his name means innocent or pure. Oh my gosh, he's in Jericho. Things smell good. There's palm trees. It's La Jolla and everything is amazing. And Zacchaeus is there. Someone's name is Pure. Oh, the story is going to be amazing. He was a chief tax collector. Oh, another tax collector story. Yeah, we've been in the series called At the Table talking about the amazing moments when Jesus would meet with people around meals and at tables. And this chief tax collector is there. And, and this is one of the first times we see the word chief tax collector. We've heard tax collector. Tax collectors were typically Jewish people uh, under Roman rule who stole from their Jewish family and friends and then gave back to Roman rule, but also took more money to line their own pockets. But a chief tax collector? This one is above all of the other tax collectors. There are three main regions uh, where these tax booths were. Um, Capernaum, which you saw on the map. Uh, there was another one, Caesarea and another one in Jericho. And so Zacchaeus had all the money. I mean, he, he was, his commission was based off of corruption. And so you hear about this chief tax collector, and it goes on, and he was wealthy. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, we'll talk more about that, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he gladly came down at once and welcomed him gladly. See, this is, this is a beautiful moment in scripture where you're looking at this tax collector. And I know we're kind of still in this tax season. You're running out of time. Get your taxes done. Uh, you know, but you think of a tax collector. I don't want you to think just IRS. I don't want you to, to complain in this moment about the taxes that we may pay because they are expensive. Uh, but I want, you, I want to take you back a few thousand years to see the taxes that they were paying. Uh, first, if you were a 14-year-old male to 65-year-old male, you were paying something called the poll tax. And 12-year-old female to 65-year-old female, it was a poll tax, literally just for breathing the air. A poll tax. Of how much? Easily over 10%. Just a poll tax, just because you get to breathe. Uh, after that, there would also be an import tax. 
So anything that came in from the different ports, because Jericho was a great port, anything that came in from these different ports, you'd had to pay that tax. Uh, there was an income tax on top of that. There was also a road tax. If you walked on the road or used any of the roads, you had to pay a road tax. There was also a harbor tax, which was taxing anything that was in the harbor. You had any boat in the harbor, you went to the harbor to buy anything, you had to pay a harbor tax. On top of that, there was a fish tax if you were a fisherman. If you were a fisherman, they would actually... Every fish that you caught, there would be a tax on that, and however many nets you would use. It was like paying by scale. Ah, uh, see what I did there? Fish and scales? Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, uh, so there was a fish tax, and beyond that, there was also a ground tax. One-tenth of the grain had to be given to the Roman government, and one-fifth of your wine had to be given to the Roman government. Some of you are like, don't touch my wine. Could you imagine these taxes? And then there's my favorite one. Uh, a cart tax, where they would tax you by wheel of your carts. If you had a cart and you were selling things off of your cart, they would tax you by wheel. And so imagine some of the hatred that you would be feeling as you hear and as you read. Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, taking all of the money? It's the feeling of hatred when you would just see him. The feeling of hatred when you would see his name or see chief tax collector, when you would hear someone knock on your door ready to ask you for all of those different taxes I asked you for. Looking inside of the house, I see that you have three people living in here. Can I see all of them? I hear something in the back. I think there's a, a, another person back there. That's four people. And they're at least 12 or 14 of age. So we're going to be a tax on that person. And I see you have a cart over there. So we're going to need to tax the wheel. And, and the roads, don't forget the road tax. I see a fishnet, so we're going to tax that one. I'm not even a fisherman. It's just for looks. It doesn't matter. We're going to tax it. And so all of these taxes going on and on, and we read about Jesus and Jericho and a tax collector, you would have so much resentment in your heart that you would say, I hope the worst thing happens to this person. But there's a moment where each of us can relate to Zacchaeus. In fact, something so powerful about this story of Zacchaeus is he just wanted to know who Jesus was. And the truth is, within every single one of us, there's this desire to know Jesus. Truthfully, I know it may not feel like it in your life right now, uh, but one philosopher, G.K. Chesterton, would say it this way, every man that enters a brothel is looking for God. I mean, it, at first you hear it and you're like, I don't know if that's the case, but, but what are we ultimately looking for? Think about what you may be desiring right now, the next promotion, the next advancement, the next stock that you may get, the next big payday, the next drug, the next bottle, the next addiction, whatever it may be. The next moment of elation essentially is us crying out, God, where are you? All of us have this desire. In fact, Blaise Pascal, another philosopher in the 17th century, would say it this way. People find traces of happiness in life, but it's only a trace of the original happiness that the first human beings had. These people are not as happy as they were created to be. Think of Adam and Eve. And he goes on, the infinite abyss within all of us is a giant hole that only God can satisfy. This is where you may have heard the famous statement, there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. It comes from this exact quote from Blaise Pascal. All of us have this desire within us. I mean, maybe you've had great success and you've had everything and felt like you're missing something. Maybe you've had uh, great moments of poverty and you're saying, God, I have nothing. And I feel like I have less than nothing. It's this moment that, that only God can satisfy within every single one of us. 
And I wonder what it was for Zacchaeus. Maybe it was just desperation. Like, like I just can't go on like this anymore. If you've ever been to that place, just imagine what Zacchaeus would be feeling. Uh, My own people hate me. I'm in extreme loneliness. I have this amazing house with a beautiful courtyard, an amazing table that I could feast with anyone, but no one wants to see my face. My own family has disowned me. Maybe it was just desperation. Maybe he heard about the compassion of Jesus. As people would tell about him and say, hey, you know, there's this man named Jesus who eats with sinners and tax collectors. Instead of the religious people who were like, I can't believe he does that. Maybe Zacchaeus says he eats with sinners and tax collectors. So he'd eat with me. Maybe he was just desiring community. Whatever the case is, he said, I just can't go on like this. And so that's why Luke would record He just wanted to see who Jesus was. He heard Jesus' reputation. Many people called him a heretic or a lunatic. Many people called him a blasphemer. Many people called him an imposter. Some called him Messiah. Some would even call him Savior. And Zacchaeus would think to himself, if he is a Savior, I need to be saved. I want to be there. So he had this deep desire within himself, which all of us have, He said, I have to know who Jesus is. I have to see him. And I'm willing to push past any barrier that's in my way. And remember, the first barrier that Luke records, and it's just cold that Luke did this. He says, Zacchaeus, he was short. Like, could you imagine someone telling a story about your life? And it's like, oh, and Marcus, his feet stunk. But he did some, you're just like, what? Like, he just, Luke says, I want you to know how short he was. Not only was he hated, but he was so hated uh, that, that he was short and he couldn't see Jesus and people didn't even move out of the way. They were just like, nope, you don't get to see anything. And you're wondering short, like how short was he? I want you right now to, to image, get the image of what you think Jesus would look like. Right, maybe you grew up with brown hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, Jesus. Maybe you grew up with chocolate Jesus, like I did, you know. Maybe a mocha Jesus, whatever, whatever your image is. How tall is he, right? Just think for a moment. Well, they did, they did some digs, and they found these areas where many of these homes were built in uh, the ancient Near Eastern cultures, and they pulled up some of the bones of the people that were there. You know the average height of a male during this time? 5'1 to 5'5. Five five. Your image of Jesus just went, what? Zacchaeus was short. So, I mean, he, he was down there. He was a short man, enough for Luke to be like, he was short, like you need to know. And in his his short stature, no one is letting him go by. Think about the moment when he starts to run to the sycamore tree and everyone is just hoping that he would trip or just giving him an elbow or stopping him from seeing who Jesus is. Think about the people that were spitting on him as Jesus even talked about that the son of man speaking of himself would be insulted, would be spit on, would be ridiculed. Zacchaeus was walking through that as he was running to see Jesus. It would have been a painful run for him, but it didn't matter. I have to see who Jesus is. So he climbs a sycamore fig tree, and maybe in your head you have this idea of what this like perfect little tree looked like. They were actually huge, really big trees, but they had really low branches. And so he probably didn't need to get too high, just, just enough to look over some of the heads of the people that were walking by, just enough to see Jesus. But he had to push past all of the barriers. And think about Zacchaeus, the thoughts of others, the people that hate him, now the, the feelings and the shame of his past, Anything that he had done or was planning to do the following day. And then you think about us. If Jesus were walking in the room right now, which he's already here, what stops us from seeing him and wanting to be seen by him? I mean, there's so many things that get in the way. Maybe it is the thoughts of others just like Zacchaeus had. 
Maybe it's fear. I don't know what God will say and I don't know what he will do. Maybe it's comparison. Well, if Jesus were to walk into the room, he'd be on the holy side of the church. I don't know if that's the holy side. Well, we'll God will figure that out. You know, but he'd be on the holy side. He wouldn't come near me. You know, if Jesus were in the room, it'd be better if it wasn't after last night because that was a bad mistake. Maybe it's the weight of secret sin that is so heavy in your life that you think if Jesus were to walk in, he wouldn't want to look at me. He wouldn't want to be near me. Because you may be dealing with something that is so heavy and so deep and so lonely that your closest people in your family, your spouse, your closest friend has no clue about but it will not let you go. You're thinking, if Jesus were here, he wouldn't want to see that. Maybe it's perfection. If Jesus were here, I'd need a little heads up because there's some things I need to do, some prayers I need to pray, some rights I need to, I need to enact, and, and some wrongs I need to make right. It, it just, I, I'm just not there yet. I'm not perfect enough to allow Jesus to even pass by me. I can fall into that sometimes. God, God I, I get to do this with my life? I get to read your perfect word, speak of a perfect God as an imperfect man? Just know, how could you be proud of someone who does their best and it still is not perfect? And he says, stay close. And that's what he says to you, stay close. And just push past whatever barrier it may be and pursue all that Jesus is. Because at this, this moment, Jesus sees where he's at. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, he says, I don't see your height, I see your heart. I don't see the past that you've gone through. What I see is your present. I see your passion, not wanting to know more and more of who God is. I see that the past may be a little, a little marred. You may have done some bad things. You may have made some mistakes, but I see you here today. I see you that have walked into this room. God would be shouting, I see you here with a list of other places you could be and other things you could be doing and the Aztecs are gonna win today, whatever it may be. Two of us, two of us, one, okay, praise God, right? Uh, wherever you could be, he says, I see that you're here right now. And he calls you by your name. Your name is the most sweet sound that any of us would ever hear, your own name. And when people have called Zacchaeus a liar, a traitor, a thief, a robber, nearly a murderer, the worst of the worst, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And I love Jesus because we read it in our culture and we're like, if someone were to say that, hey, let's get dinner. We do this. We pull out our phones. Uh, can't do next week. Not this, not this week. Let's do two months from now. Let's check in. Let's check in two months from now and maybe we could fit you in. But, but in, in ancient Near Eastern culture and in Eastern culture today, uh, I told you as I was in Egypt and in different places, people are like, hey, we're getting dinner tonight. You're just, okay, all right. This, this statement in, in ancient cultures and even in Eastern cultures today means I am going to be at your house. Make sure you have enough food. I might even bring my family. I'll see you there. What time? Be ready. So Zacchaeus comes down immediately and welcomes him because he just got one glimpse of truly who Jesus was. The fact that he is not this person who is ready to have a whip and to smite you for every wrong that you've done. That Jesus is not this person who is withholding his love. That Jesus is not this person who has no clue who you, who you are, but he calls you by your name. And so Zacchaeus says, one glimpse is all I needed. 
Everyone else around me gave up on me, but you didn't? Okay. Can imagine if he would have known the song we just sang. The fact that greater things are still to come, this is my testimony. If he could be thinking, Jesus, you know my name, you probably know what I've done. But if you're in my house, everything will change. My testimony begins now. Because for Zacchaeus, the story is not about one man pursuing Jesus. It's the fact about Jesus has always been pursuing every single one of us. The beauty is not that we know God, but that he knows us so intimately and perfectly. All throughout history, John Stott, a great author and thought leader, would say that ever since the beginning of history until today, God has been making the first new first move. You read Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. You read the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and knock from cover to cover. Jesus, Jesus is saying, I will make the first move. You just show up. And no matter what you have done, no matter the pains you have caused or the pains you may be experiencing, God is saying, there is no one that can run so far that they have outgrown, outrun my grace, my love, and my mercy for them. I wonder if in this story, and in this moment, finally Zacchaeus realizes, because for tax collectors, as they'd be collecting these taxes and stealing from different homes, they were actually forbidden to go into the synagogue. They couldn't go to church, as we would call it today. Zacchaeus hearing Jesus call him by his name, Zacchaeus would finally think, maybe there's no one that is beyond the boundary of your acceptance. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking that you have been too far gone from God and that you've done so much or you haven't done enough or that people have done things to you or or that there is so much weight that you're carrying that there's no way that a good God could lift you up out of it. He can. And he calls you by your name. And he says, my love is open for everybody. Come to me. And the story will continue in Luke chapter 19. We're going to read in verse 7 to 10. All the people saw this, saw that Jesus was talking to Zacchaeus and he's going to his house. They were so excited that Jesus would invite a sinner into that. No, that's not what happened. Read on. Uh, They saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And praise God he has because he's a guest with me. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And then Jesus again shares his mission statement. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the moment of the guilt that we may feel the guilt of Zacchaeus experiencing the grace of God. I wonder, you know, we know that Jesus was walking with his disciples from Capernaum all the way to Jericho, to Jerusalem, and they were with him along the way. At the beginning of the series, we talked about a man named Levi, who was also a tax collector. Uh, Matthew uh, would be his, his, his name as well. We read that in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, a tax collector. So he would have been there. So I can guarantee you that there was a conversation that was probably had between Levi and Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus would think, this man Jesus, talking to me? 
There's no way. Levi would say, hey, Zacchaeus, I've been in your shoes. In fact, you probably know me because you've stolen money from me too. But if there's one thing I know, it's that Jesus saw me, called me by my name, and I left everything because it was worth nothing compared to what he was giving me. So would you be willing to lay down everything because I promise you the riches, the wealth, the pride, the clothes, none of it matters in comparison to all that Jesus has for us. So Zacchaeus, your name means pure and innocent. You're sitting at the table with the pure and innocent one. Follow him, he'll change everything. Zacchaeus would look at Levi, probably with tears in his eyes, and Levi would say, Zacchaeus, with people like you and me, we have to know and we have to tell people God's grace and God's acceptance has no exceptions. He sees you and he loves you. And Levi would tell Zacchaeus, I've walked with him for over three years now. I've seen him do miracles. I've seen him cry. I've seen him love. I've seen him lead well. And I've seen him simply sit and pray to God the Father and he prays with an authority. You know, truly, Zacchaeus, I wanted to be in your position, a chief tax collector, for more money. But I'm realizing is the closer I get to Jesus, the more I just want to be like him. I just want to be like Jesus. Can you imagine hearing that? As Zacchaeus is thinking, I've pulled away so far from the synagogue, they won't even let me in there. Why would I want anything about this God person? Why would I want anything about this Jesus that walks around and does miracles? And Levi would say, he will change everything about your life. Just give it one moment, give it one chance, and you'll want to become more and more like him. And Levi would tell Zacchaeus, proximity matters. Get close to him and watch what happens. Your proximity changes and your passion will change. You're closer to Jesus, you're closer to his heart. And this is probably where Zacchaeus stood up. Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. You may be thinking, well, he had a lot of money. Okay, think of your bank account right now. Give half of it to the poor. That would hurt. No matter, no matter what scale or income bracket you may be in, half of your money to the poor right now. Whew. Zacchaeus said, I'll do it. Notice this is what Jesus asked the rich young ruler in, in chapter 18. Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was just willing to do it. Then he goes on. He said, if I cheated out anybody of anything, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. This number is is on purpose. It's so powerful. You see, in, in the law, if you were to steal something from someone or cheat somebody out of something, you would essentially pay them back 150% back of what you've taken. You give them back what you've taken and then 50% more on top of that. Zacchaeus says 150%, 400%. Because my heart wasn't in the right place. It doesn't matter. Notice the process in his heart. He says, I just want to see Jesus. So he travels to a tree, and now he's sitting at a table. You maybe have cried out, God, I just want to see you. And so you got in your car, you pulled up to a church and sat in a chair, and now you're hearing about Christ. And something within us has to change. This is why we've, we celebrate baptisms every single month, because something within us is changing, and we just say, hey guys, I'm a new person. I'm not who I used to be. Don't call me by that old name anymore. Don't expect me to be like I, who I used to be. I want to be like Christ. So he says four times the amount. It doesn't matter. The word for this, even in today, is called restitution. 
What I love about that word restitution in the Old Testament, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, that word restitution is shalom, the verb tense of shalom, which means peace. See, when I get right with God and I have peace with God, I can't help but have peace with man. Zacchaeus cried out, something must change. I can't go on like this. And it's until we get to that point in our lives where we say, I can't do this anymore. We become, at the table, just like Zacchaeus was, never the same. And you start to live, as Billy Graham would say, life with a capital L. And this is what happened for Zacchaeus. He lived on because what happens at the table is extremely important, but what happens after the table is just as important. Your actions begin to change when your passions begin to change. You've seen it in your own life. You've seen it in the lives of others around you. And you're passionate about Christ and then things start to change. It, it doesn't matter what certain things look like anymore or necessarily how things feel anymore. All that matters is, is Christ and him crucified and him resurrected and sharing that with the rest of the world. Everything begins to change. Which is why Jesus would say, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. When Jesus would have said that to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was uh, a Jewish man. He, he grew up probably hearing much of the law and understanding the promises of Abraham. If you know the promise of Abraham, God would speak to Abraham and say that I'm going to bless you exponentially and you will be a blessing to other people. So he says, you are a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, your name means pure. You're a son of Abraham. You are going to be blessed and you're gonna bless other people. Jesus was probably thinking, I know that you said you can't go on like this. Like this? Changed, saved, experiencing the goodness of God? You can change the world. And that's what he did. We have from church history, Zacchaeus actually became the bishop of Caesarea and led hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to Jesus. One man with one passion to see Jesus transform the world. God says, would you respond to my nearness? Whether it's your first time at the table hearing the good news about Jesus, would you just sit with him and pause? Maybe where you're at, would you just close your eyes? Maybe begin to think about that thing that you're hiding from God. The barriers that stop you from getting close to him. The moments in your life that you don't want him to know about even though he already knows. Maybe you've cried that, that phrase out loud, God, I can't go on like this. Hear the gentle whisper of our Lord saying, I know. I will carry what is too heavy for you. So Jesus, we come before you knowing that each of us need an experience at your table to experience your goodness in our lives. God, we ask that we would respond even as Zacchaeus did. God, we're willing to do whatever. Uh, half of our riches to the poor. If we've wronged anyone, we'll pay it back 400 times the amount. God, it doesn't even matter. God, we're willing to do whatever we need to do to be aligned with you and your heart. Change us from the inside out. Change our passions to look more and more like yours. God, we surrender. We're ready for what you have for us. Teach us to respond to the beautiful declaration that today salvation has come to this house. God, we thank you that you see us, that you call us by name. Remind us that we are changed and blessed to bless others and to share the good news about Christ with everyone we see. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.
Thank you, church.